Matthew chapter number 19, uh, and beginning in verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning on this thought, lost with the opportunity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day that we have today. Thank you for the time that we can spend in your word. Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would have freedom and liberty in each heart. Lord, I pray that you'd reveal to us what needs to be revealed in each life. Lord, help us to turn to you, not to rely upon self. We pray these things in your name and amen. You know, as you look here this morning and we look at this young man, it's hard for your heart to not go out to him. You can see the fault in his logic in the very question, of, in the way that he frames the question, what must I do? Uh, what good thing shall I do? And it's just the typical mentality of a people who are steeped and stooped in religion. That's what religion teaches. It doesn't matter what label you put on it. You can, uh, you can put any label you want. It's all the same. There is religion and there's Jesus. There is man's system contrived and concocted around an idea of scripture and there is scripture itself and relationship with God. And that is the point here this morning and that is what this young man is looking for. He just is looking in a misguided way. The prism through which he views eternal life is the prism of works. It is the prism of how good do I have to be? What do I have to accomplish? What must I do? And the answer is, is there's nothing I can do and there's no good deed I can do. There's only what Jesus has done. And so as he comes to Jesus this morning and he asks him, what must I do? Jesus, of course, discerns his struggle and knows what his obstacles are. His obstacles are his possessions. His obstacles are that he's grown up in a world in which he can purchase anything that he wants, that there's nothing uh, that he lacks or desires that he cannot attain. And because of that, he just looks at this as what 
must I do or what can I buy or what can I to, to get eternal life? I want to add to. Now it's interesting, this young man, and I point this out from time to time, uh, but in Mark's account, I believe it is, it says that Jesus loved him. Now we know that Jesus loves everyone, but I just find that Jesus had to have had a particularly, at least in my mind, special heart toward this young man because it doesn't, the Bible doesn't often say specifically, Jesus loves Chad. But it does say Jesus loves this young man. It says that he loves John, the disciple, the beloved disciple. It says that he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But other than that, the love of God is, is not pointed at individuals. It is for everyone. I'm not saying that that's different. I just think that in my mind it helps me put into context that Jesus had a particular burden for this young man. That this man, for whatever reason, had a special place in his heart. That he didn't want to save him more than he wanted to save anyone else. He didn't do any more for him than he did for anybody else. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying uh, when you get out and you interact with people, there are some people that you're just naturally drawn to. And there are some people that you have a great burden for. And there are other people that you would look and kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's a more of a struggle to reach out to them or to to love them, to labor for them. Uh, but in this case, this young man uh, is coming to, uh, to Jesus and Jesus' heart is like all gone out to him. And he's, he's reaching out to him and he's trying to answer him in such a way that lead him and guide him to the obvious. It's not about what you do. You, you, what can you do? Do this and you'll be perfect. And that perfect not meaning, uh, not meaning that, uh, you know, he's never had a flaw, but perfect meaning you will achieve your goal. The problem is, is that it's an unachievable goal. There wasn't anything that this young man could do to get there. And so he has an opportunity this morning. Now life is made up of opportunities for all of us. We all have opportunities at different times for different things. And whenever we are presented with an opportunity, there are things that we receive depending upon what we do with it and things that we lose depending on what we do with it. Now we're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning. We're going to be moving very quickly. Uh, and so uh, about as fast as I can turn. Uh, and so you may want to just try to jot a lot of them down rather than trying to keep up and turn unless you're just really fast and good uh, with getting there quickly. Uh, or unless you've got the little cheater tabs on the edge of your, on the edge of your Bible there that mark the books for you, uh, you might keep up all right. So, but we're going to look at a lot of different, a lot of different passages this morning because the message is really about opportunity. What do I do with the opportunities that God presents with me and what is the result of that opportunity? We tend to think of opportunity as positive, but opportunities as a door that swings both ways. Some opportunities are very negative. And what choices I make impact my life for years and even sometimes generations to come. And so what will I do with the opportunities that I receive? This young man comes to Jesus with a bogus question, but a sincere desire. He just is looking at it in a way that's all about what do I do? Rather than coming humbly and saying, Lord, would you save me? And so uh, Jesus makes the case that you view yourself so righteously that you can't see that you need me. You go and do this and then you'll be perfect. Oh, I've done that since I was a child. His, his 
Humility to come to the Lord speaks, but his arrogance to think, I've done all that can be done also speaks. And so I'm not saying that I think that he was an outwardly, oppressively arrogant fellow. I'm just saying this morning that oftentimes we think so highly of ourselves that we can't see the needs that we have. Uh, and so that's his case here, I believe, this morning. And so I want to just pose some, some thoughts this morning to make us think a little bit about opportunities that we have, about opportunities that God steers into our life, opportunities that revolve around what we do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately, that's the issue here. What is this rich young ruler going to do with Jesus? Now, we know the story. We know that he looks at what Jesus says he needs to do. And essentially, what Jesus is saying is to him, it's not go sell all you have uh, and, and sell it and distribute it and give it. The, the message is not from Jesus to him, go and do and you'll have eternal life. The message is when you are no longer dependent upon yourself and you are dependent upon me, then you can be saved. And so what, what is our trust in, in life? Not just for salvation, but life in general. And I would say this morning that when this young man came to the Lord Jesus Christ, that the first thing that I want you to consider is that he had an opportunity to leave. Now, an opportunity to leave is not just leave the scene, though that's part of it. But he comes looking for eternal life. He comes seeking salvation. And Jesus is not callous in trying to make salvation complicated or difficult. Jesus is trying to help him understand that you can't do it on your own. And so what he presents to him is he's saying, rich young ruler, you have an opportunity to leave. And the first thing that he has an opportunity to leave is the world. If you trust me, if you follow me, then you're leaving the world behind. And when we leave the world behind, we lose some things. If you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then you have had the opportunity to leave the things of this world behind by his grace because of his command and with his power. And so he does those things for us. So I want you to consider this morning what we lose when we left the world. If I leave the world behind, if I turn to Christ, if I live for Christ as a Christian, if I'm devoted to Christ and I'm living and walking by the Spirit and the light and not according to my own desires and flesh, then what is it that I lose when I leave the world? And the first thing that I would consider this morning is that I lose the shame of sin. Sin is shameful. Just because we live in a time when people are so blinded and ignorant that they can't even, don't even have the sense to feel the shame of their sin does not change the fact that sin is shameful. It is a bad thing for people to live in an era when they don't even know that what they do is sinful. When they cannot comprehend the, the power of that sin in their life. In Psalm 103 uh, in verse number 12, the Bible tells us that, uh, that as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Uh, and it's, uh, sin is so shameful and so damaging that God doesn't just remove them as far as the north is from the south, but as far as the east is from the west. He says, I'm getting it as far away from you as is possible. It is gone forever. The shame of sin 
has been lifted. The stain of sin has been washed, has been taken away, has been covered by the blood of my son. Gone when I leave the world and accept Jesus Christ as my Savior is the potential to leave the shame of my sin behind. Why? Because it's forgiven. Because it's taken away. Because Jesus has paid for it. He's made things right with God. God does not even see my sin, acknowledge my sin. In that case of my salvation, it's all under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 20. Uh, he says this way, For if our heart condemn us, that shame condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. The devil wants to sit on your shoulder, child of God, forgiven from your sin, and convince you that you're such a destitute sinner that God could never do anything with your life. But the reality is, is that God, once you've asked forgiveness for that sin, no longer even acknowledges that sin because it's under the blood of Christ. I don't have to walk and live in shame. I don't have to walk and live feeling as if I've disappointed God or let God down. I understand that I disappoint God and let him down. But I also understand that a loving Heavenly Father has the capacity to not only to forgive my sin, but to forget it and to not live going forward with the memory of that sin. You stop and you think about how damaging in life it is to live with the memory of the past sins that others have committed against you. Yes, I've forgiven them, and I try to move on, Pastor, but I just can't let it go. May you ever feel that way about anything? Let me tell you this morning that God has no problem letting go. That Jesus has no problem just letting it fall off of him. It's been paid for. It's been dealt with. It's been forgiven. And when I choose to embrace Christ, receive him, and leave the world, I lose the shame of my sin. It's gone for eternity. Not only that, I am set free from the strength of that sin. Listen, my sin is far stronger than I'll ever be. The power of sin in my life is far stronger than I'll ever be. We cannot in our flesh overcome sin, but if I'll leave my sin behind and leave the world and turn to Jesus, then he breaks the strength or the power of that sin. John chapter 8 and verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Listen, we know the truth of God's love, his power, his mercy, his grace, and it's freedom giving power that God makes available to us. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 21, he tells us, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. He has taken us and delivered us from bondage and set us at liberty from our sin when we turn to him. So many Christians live defeated lives and they live lives in which they're overwhelmed and they have no capacity to rise up because they just are shackled with the burden of their sin. Listen, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the only power that sin has over you is the power that you allow it to have. Because Jesus has set you free. And Pastor, I can't get free. I can't figure out how to get this shackle off. Then go to the word of God and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. There are things that will hold on tight. There will be things that will be hard to shut. There will be things that will be hard for us to get past. But if I just go to the word and walk with God, God will show me 
how to get free of that sin. It may take some time. It might take some effort, but I can be freed from it. Not only can I get freed from the power of sin and the guilt and the shame of sin, the strength of sin, but I can get free from the seduction of sin. Sin is seductive. It comes after us. It doesn't let go. And sin who wants to hold that bond over us in 1 John chapter number 2 in verse Beginning in verse number 24 and down through to verse 28, but verse 26 in particular, he says, Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, ye may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. What's he saying? Don't get sucked into the, the seduction of that sin, the attraction of that sin. He has written to us that we have been freed from it, that we've been forgiven from it. And as the shame is lifted and the strength is lifted, then the seduction can be broken down because I've got my focus on someone who is more appealing than sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. We turn to sin because sin is appealing. It's only appealing because we're not looking at what's most beautiful. Because we're not looking at what's most giving, what's most loving, the seduction of our sin. And when we leave the world and what Jesus was offering this young man, if you'll leave the world, if you'll leave your possessions, if you'll put your faith and trust in me, then I will break the shame of sin and the strength of sin and the seductive power of sin in your life and you can come and live for me. Just go get rid of all of it and come back to me. Get rid of your own desires. Get rid of your own efforts. Get rid of your own, uh, your, your own self-reliance. Get rid of it all and return to me. And until we come to Christ on his terms, not dependent upon self or anything, but dependent upon him for everything, we'll never experience the freedom of leaving the world behind. But if we will, then we can lose this morning. Lost with the opportunity is the shame, the strength, and the seductive power of sin. This young man sadly chose to leave the Savior instead. And when he chose to leave the Savior, he lost some things. He lost some things that were beyond his own understanding. He lost things that he perhaps never even learned about. That were waiting for him. That were going to be developed in him. And in Romans chapter number 3, and beginning in verse number 9, we see as we look down here, what then are we better than they? No, we in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understand that there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. 
Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is in their, their, under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What I would say this morning, when we reject the Lord Jesus Christ, we lose the opportunity to embrace and to enjoy and to experience the peace of God. The peace of God that passes all understanding. The peace of God that he wants to give us that settles over our lives. That will grow us and will develop us into the people and the Christian that God uh, longs for us and, uh, and wants for us to be uh, as we serve him. But not only do we lose the peace of God, but we also sacrifice the protection of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5, he says to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, for a Christian who's being chastened, God will turn us over at times to suffer that chastening so that we can be brought back. To the lost, the only hope is that they will come to Christ until that protection is forever lost and their soul is condemned for eternity. If I leave the Savior, I lose the peace of God. I lose the protection of God. And I ultimately, as a Christian, lose the power of God. I cannot win. I cannot be victorious. I cannot overcome the, the things of this world. If I am self-reliant, self-dependent, uh, I must turn and rely upon his power, not my own. Galatians chapter 5 and verses 16 and 17 says this, I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I walk in the spirit... In the power of God. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. You can want to do right all you want, but unless you're walking in the power of the spirit of God, you do not have the strength. Yeah. And God loves us so much, he gives us that strength. Listen, we come this morning standing before the Lord Jesus Christ, and he presents to us an opportunity to leave. The question that needs answered this morning is, will you leave Jesus or will you leave the world? Oh, pastor, but I'm just not ready to jump all in and give my all to Christ. If, I give my, if I'm not willing to give my all to him, I really have not given my any to him. He loves you. He longs for you. He sacrificed for you. And this rich young ruler comes seeking. And he says, if you'll leave the world, I'll break the shame and the strength and the seduction of your sin. But if you leave me, you'll never know peace. You'll never know my protection and you'll never experience my power. It's gone. It's lost with the opportunity. Secondly, this morning, we see that there was an opportunity to love. Rich young ruler had to choose, what do I love? Do I love the world or do I love the Savior? Sadly, he chose to love the world. He chose what he knew versus what he was curious about, what he was drawn to. And when we love the world, we lose some things as well. And when we love the world this morning, consider uh, that when we love the world, we love conviction or we lose conviction of sin. There comes a point in time when sin no longer even has the ability to convict us. Uh, we're there culturally where most people don't even understand what sin is. 
If you don't understand what sin is, and if you have no idea how, who God is, how can you ever feel conviction? Why is it so dangerous that God's been removed from society? Why is it so dangerous that no one will stand up and say that this is right and this is wrong and this is moral and this is immoral? Uh, and why does the world fight so hard to stand up and say no one has a right to tell me but me? Because the world doesn't want to deal with the shame and the guilt of their sin. The world doesn't want to be convicted of their sin. And this rich young man, when he chose to love the world, lost the capacity at least at some point to be convicted. And you know how it is. You get convicted about something in your life and you either give in or you don't. And if you hold out and you stay strong and you will not repent long enough, then the longer you go, the easier it is to keep sinning. And the more the guilt subsides. It just wanes away. And it's not that it's not affected, having the power to affect it, that I've built up such great calluses that it doesn't have the power to penetrate anymore. And until the seared hot iron flesh is restored or until that callous is taken away, I cannot even feel what's taken place. Men that work out in the fields and construction or people that are on their feet along hours of the day have big calluses on their hands or on the balls of their feet or their heels and don't even have the capacity to feel if something is, uh, is jabbing into it until it gets through the callus into the soft tissue, the flesh. That's the way it is with sin. And if I uh, choose to love this world, I lose the power and the ability to be convicted by sin. 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 4, he put it this way, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. We willingly turn away because we don't want to hear. And the conviction and the convicting power of sin in our life uh, is diminished or uh, gone for good. It also sears our conscience. Our conscience is cleansed of sin. Judges chapter number 17 and verse number 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And felt good about it. The opportunity to love the world causes us to lose conviction of our sin, conscience about our sin, and it also causes us to lose control over our sin. Oh, pastor, I'm not going to get too far down this road. I'm, not, I'm just going to do this a little bit. I'm just going to do a little bit of drugs. I'm just going to drink a little bit of liquor. I'm just going to watch a little bit of porn. I'm just going to dabble around with this a little bit or that a little bit. I can control it. It's never going to control me. I've got uh, the upper hand. I'm strong enough to do it. No, you're not. It's stronger. That's the seduction of it. To make you think that you can when you can't. And when we lose with that opportunity is lost the opportunity to control. In James chapter number 1, he tells us in verse number 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The young ruler lost the capacity when he chose to love the world to be convicted about his sin to have a conscience that troubled his soul to realize that he was even sinning anymore he lost control until it destroyed his life now I understand this morning we don't know biblically exactly what happened to this young man after this point but we certainly can look at what sin has done through the ages and draw some conclusions that are reasonable. Sin destroys. Sin wrecks. His opportunity to love the world cost him. 
What if that day he had chose to love the Savior? What if he had chosen to sell everything? What if he had chosen to put all of his trust in him? I would say in that case that what we see biblically is that he would have lost in large part his, his desire for sin. Now we always at some point when our flesh rises up have a desire to do something on occasion that's sinful. What we're talking about here is a lifestyle, a life that's dominated by sin. It's not talking about a bad decision or a mistake or a poor choice that we realize and God convicts us about and we get forgiven and we, for, and we correct it. That's not my point this morning. My point is this. That if I'm truly in love with the Savior and I want to please Him and to honor Him and to glorify my God, then I will be desiring to do that more than I desire sin. His desire for sin in John chapter number 8 in verse number 29, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him, Jesus said. He wanted to please His Father, in Hebrews uh, chapter number 11, in verse number 5, uh, we look and the Bible tells us about uh, the translation of Enoch when it says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation, or excuse me, that's chapter 12, verse number, uh, chapter 11 and verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. His desire was to please God, was to honor God, was to glorify God. And because of that, his opportunity to love the Savior helped him diminish his desire to sin. He just wanted to please his Father. Not only that, it takes away the desire to quit. You get overwhelmed with sin, you want to quit. You get overwhelmed with the things in life that are difficult and life gets hard. Uh, you want to just give up and think it's not worth it anymore. And it's just, uh, it, it's just so hard and so difficult. And you just want to wash your hands, wring your hands and be done with it. Because let's face it, it's easier to just go with the flow of the world than displease God and be sinners. It's easier to do, but the price that we pay is so high, it's not easy to live. It takes discipline and courage to live for God, but what comes as a result of it is blessing and empowerment in God's grace. It's easy to choose the wrong thing, but the cost and the price of that wrong thing, when it comes due, when the bill comes due, when the chickens come home to roost, when payday comes, there's a high price to pay. And when I love the Savior, lost is the desire to sin, the desire to quit. In Romans chapter 4 uh, and verses 20 through uh, 22, uh, we see the Apostle Paul describe it this way. He that staggered not, talking about Abraham, he staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Listen, if there's anybody that I look back at in, in time and say, man, if anybody would have quit, it would have been Abraham. God promised him all of these things and he lived his entire life devoted to God and he did not see any of those promises fulfilled, but every one of those promises is being fulfilled. He had faith. Did he ever have a desire to quit? He had to have had. How did he get over it? He just trusted that God would do what he said he would do. Amen. He just believed God. Lost when I love the Savior, 
is a desire to sin, a desire to quit, and a desire to get. It's not about what can I get for me, it's about what can I do for him. We've already read verses that talk about pleasing the Father. When I love him, I want to please him. Thirdly, this morning we see this. First, we saw that as we have an opportunity to leave, we must choose to leave the world or, or leave the Savior. We have an opportunity to love, to love the world or love the Savior. These are this young man's choices this morning. And thirdly and lastly, we see that he has an opportunity to lead. An opportunity to lead. What I mean by that is this. He had the opportunity, had he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to lead others to the Savior. But instead, he chose to lead others to the world. So, Pastor, how do you know? We don't know his, his interaction. He chose to go the way of the world. He was rich. He was influential. He would have been a man of means and power. He did not live. No man lives or dies unto themselves. Every one of us have a measure of influence. It stands to reason that this young man throughout his lifetime had a lot of influence. And however little or however great his influence, he did not choose Jesus. So he taught and led people even if it wasn't intentionally, to love the things of this world. He had an opportunity to lead others to the world. And when we lead others to the world, when my Christian life is so anemic and weak, when I've turned against God, when I'm not committed to Christ, when I'm not devoted to Him, when I just outright as a lost person reject Him and won't take part, I lead others even if unintentionally to the world. What I mean by that is this, that I am innocent, I, what I lose is this. I lose the innocence of ignorant sin. There is an ignorant sin. There is that transgression that we commit innocently. And yes, Jesus paid for that sin too. And it has to be uh, taken into account. Uh, but it's, it's not like we just went out and stubbed our nose at God and pointed our finger and said, I'm going to do what I want to do. But loss is the ignorance of that innocent, or the innocence of that ignorant sin. In 2 Peter chapter number 3 and verse 5 it says, For this they, are willing, they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." And the innocence of that ignorant sin that draws us away in Numbers chapter number 15 and verse, uh, beginning in verse number 27, uh, you see that uh, displayed in the ignorant sin uh, as it comes about and how it affects uh, people and it still must be accounted for by God and God wonderfully and in his grace does so uh, but he says in numbers 15 and verses 27 through 30 and if any soul sin through ignorance then he shall bring a she go to the first year for a sin offering and the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly when he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him 
Ye have one law for him that sinneth through ignorance, and both for him that is born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger that sojourneth among them. But the soul that doeth aught presumptuously, whether he be born of the land or a stranger, the same reproach of the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. And what I'm saying this morning is that when I lead others to the world, I lose the opportunity to claim uh, that, that my sin was innocent, that it was unintentional. I have rejected you, therefore I am coming at you, God, and saying I'm going to do what I want to do. I can no longer plead that I didn't know any better. And the result ultimately is that Jesus has to pay for all of that sin. But it's so much easier to come to Christ when I realize that I have sinned against him without realizing that it was sinful than it is to have a hardened soul turned against him. And when I lead others to the world, lost is the innocence of ignorant sin and also lost is the inhibition of judgment. There's no good judgment guiding me, leading me. Hebrews chapter number 2 uh, and verse number 3. Uh, we see here that it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? We understand this morning that the Bible and the scripture and that Christian living and that the truth of God helps rein us in from sin and helps us to stay focused. And that inhibition, that fear of sin, that not wanting to go that way is removed whenever we embrace sin and we choose to follow and lead others to the world. In Romans chapter number 2 and verse number 3, we read there that he says, Then thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things? and doest the same that thou shalt escape judgment of God when we lead others we will uh, stand and uh, be in account of what uh, we've done and how we've led them and influenced their lives in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3 he says for when they shall say peace and safety then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape the innocence of ignorant sin is lost. The inhibition of judgment is lost. The realization that judgment's coming for my action. I cannot see it and also lost. And perhaps the most damaging thing of all and the most frightening thing of all is that when I choose to lead others to the world, I lose the intercession of the Savior on my behalf. In Psalm 66, in uh, verse number 18, we see if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I cannot seek intercession when I am betraying him. But if that young man had chosen, and if I so choose this morning to lead others to the Savior, if I choose to lead others to Christ, then lost is the sin of apathy. Jude verse 22, and if some have compassion, making a difference. If I choose Jesus, the sin of apathy is lost. Psalm 126 and verse number 6 uh, we see uh, there that the Bible puts it this way when we lose that, that sin of apathy or not being concerned, not caring uh, about what's going on around us in the lives of others. He that goeth forth weeping, uh, that bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. There is a willingness to go and to labor. The sin of apathy is gone. There is 
the lack or loss is the sin of animosity. That bitterness and that strife, that anger, that working against uh, what God is trying to accomplish through his church and, uh, and through the leadership of the, uh, the church that he's established. And we see in Ephesians chapter number 5 uh, and verse number 22 uh, all the way down to uh, verse 32 uh, when he says in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, that wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he that is the Savior of the body. Therefore the church is subject unto Christ. So that wives are their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. I'm not preaching about the home this morning. I'm making the point that the home is a picture of what the church should be and what God is trying to do and what God's longing is. And God loves us. Jesus loves the church. And Jesus desires to use the church and to care for the church. He doesn't want strife and rebellion. He doesn't want oppressive leadership. He wants a love that is displayed and that is returned, leading forth and going forward. And that is what is lost. Now, we, the animosity is lost. It comes in with sin. Choose to lead others to the Savior and you've got so much uh, time invested in lives and loving Christ and sharing Christ that there's no time for animosity. Lost also is the sin of abasement, that sin of shame and dishonor, the sin of not having and not being uh, what God would have me to be, the sin of thinking too much of myself or not enough of myself than I see myself in Christ. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city God's prepared a place for you he's prepared a place for me and listen the reality is, is there was a young man that Jesus loved that came to him and said what did I do to buy eternal life and Jesus said stop counting on yourself he put things in perspective why do you call me a good master there's nobody good but God there's no one righteous but God there's no one holy but God but I want eternal life what can I do to get it? What can I do to buy it? How can I earn it? I buy everything else. Why can't I buy that? And Jesus says, oh, you can't buy that. You can't trust in yourself. You have to trust in me. What must I do? Go sell everything you had and come and trust me. Stop trusting in your possessions. Stop trusting in your and trust me. And if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to put your trust in me, then come and follow me. What natural, what more natural picture of the progression of salvation in the Christian life could Jesus have given to him? Forsake what you knew, forsake your self-dependence, turn your trust in me, and then follow me with your life. That's what the Christian life is. Turning from ourselves to Christ and following him. And if I choose to leave the world this morning, Jesus takes away from me the shame of my sin, the strength of that sin, the seductive power of that sin. If I choose to take advantage of the opportunity to love the Savior, my desire for sin will diminish. My desire to quit when things are hard will go away. My desire to get from me instead of glorifying God uh, will, be, uh, will be gone from me. 
If I choose uh, to accept the opportunity to lead others to the Savior, I will not suffer from the sin of apathy where I don't care about the gospel and about uh, the, the mission of the church that he's left us, that God's given us and uh, in investing and being, an being a good exhorter to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I won't, I'll care about that again and I won't have animosity in my heart toward those that are trying to serve God and love God and even those that attack us. I'll just see their soul as the, a soul that needs Christ that I I pray for and that I love and that I lead and the sin of abasement that shame and dishonor I don't have to feel shameful and dishonorable because I'm honoring Christ but if I like that rich young ruler choose this morning to leave the Savior I'll never know the peace of God I won't enjoy the protection of God I'll never walk in the power of God if I choose to love the world I can get to the point where I don't even feel convicted about my sin. I have no conscience towards sin. And I'll lose control of that sin. If I choose this morning to lead others away from Christ into the world, any innocence that I had is gone. Any inhibition that I have about, about avoiding judgment can be forgotten. And any ability to reach Jesus through prayer, other than, Father, forgive me for I've sinned, is gone. You have an opportunity this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have an opportunity to accept him or to reject him. You can choose Jesus or you can choose the world. That's what this rich young man did. If you're a Christian here this morning, you can choose to live an empowered, victorious Christian life or you can choose to live defeated and struggling. You can choose this morning to, you can't choose this morning whether or not you're going to invest in somebody. You can't choose this morning whether or not you're going to influence others. Everyone influences somebody. But you can choose whether you're going to influence them to turn against God or to live for God. This young man comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do? And he hangs his head in shame when he realizes that the price is more than he's willing to pay. The sacrifice is more than he's willing to make. Disciples look at Jesus and say, If it's that hard, how can anybody ever? And Jesus said, you know, with men it's not possible. But with God. When the Holy Spirit convicts, when the word of God illuminates, when the power of God falls, he's irresistible. Amen. Would you, this morning, choose the world? And lose all that would destroy your life. Or, or excuse me, lose all, that, lose all that would save you from destruction of life. Or would you choose Jesus? The choice is yours. But you must choose. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. And I pray that you would help us to understand these biblical truths. Lord, may we embrace you. May we choose Jesus. May we realize the peace and the freedom that comes from knowing you as Savior. Lord, work in our hearts and our lives, we pray.
In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning. God spoke into your heart. I invite you to come. Maybe you just need to resolve that I'm choosing Jesus this morning. If you're here and you've never trusted him as your savior, would you choose him this morning? I promise you this, he's chosen you. He's died for you. He's resurrected for you. He paid the debt for you. Will you accept the gift? God bless you. Thank you for being here, for your attention this morning. There are a few announcements this morning so and some things that are coming up quickly. So don't forget the offering table in the back of the auditorium. Uh, then also next Saturday, we'll have outreach opportunity at 10 o'clock. And so we want to make sure that we're here and ready to go out uh, and share our faith. Then church anniversary Sunday, our 49th anniversary is next Sunday as well. Uh, and so we will be uh, having our service here in the morning and then having a fellowship in the fellowship hall immediately after, uh, followed by a brief service uh, in the fellowship hall that will be our evening service. There will not be a 6.30 service on next Sunday evening. And so keep that in mind. If you, uh, The church will be providing the meat and the sides will all bring. So if you would take a moment, sign either to either today or tonight, or this morning or tonight, the sign-up sheet so that we know how to plan accordingly uh, for next Sunday. Also, one last thing, there's a Striving Together conference uh, taking place up at Greater Waco Baptist Church in Waco uh, on September 20th and 21st. If you're interested in that, uh, please sign the sign-up sheet for that. It's not committing that you're going to go, but we need to know at least who's interested so that we can get you the information uh, and plan accordingly for that as well. So keep those things in mind. We do have a service tonight, 6.30. Brother Reuben will be preaching. We're so glad that they're here and looking forward to hearing uh, from him tonight and what God has shared with him and what God God's given them. Uh, and so let's be faithful and be right back here in our place. Do remember to pray for those that are ill, those that have been exposed to COVID, uh, and those that are traveling. And so we have a lot of that uh, spread out across the church. And so let's be in prayer for them. Pray for those that have more serious issues as well, that God will continue to show himself and his grace mighty and, and, and meeting the needs of his people uh, as they recover uh, the best that, that they can. And so praise the Lord for that. Don't forget the folks up in the Northeast that are enduring a hurricane today as well. Uh, and so pray the Lord will keep folks safe and give ministry opportunities when it's all said and done also. Let's be dismissed in prayer this morning. Uh, and so, Brother Chad, dismiss us in prayer, please.